Welcome to the Deep Blue On My Doorstep podcast. I'm Tracy Ainsworth from the University of New South Wales. In this podcast series, we will talk to marine experts about the marine environments that we have right on our doorsteps and what we can do to help conserve and protect these blue spaces. Welcome to Deep Blue On My Doorstep podcast. Today we have Dr. Sophia Fortunato, who is an evolutionary biologist and developmental biologist, expert in all things genes in sponges and corals. And she's also the founder of a children's book company, Little Red House Books, which is a fascinating insight into how multidimensional scientists are. Sophia, welcome and thank you so much for talking to us today. Oh, hello, Tracy. Thank you for having me. So do you want to tell us to start off with, how did you get into children's books? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's say I'm being always fascinated with children's books, you know, read to my children since they're babies. And, yeah, I guess I never thought that I'll lead a career path into a children's book. It was never, never the plan. Um, and then so suddenly I was like, because um, I've been really artistic my whole life too, and then I like illustrating and then, I don't know, suddenly I just started writing little stories here and there. And then it wasn't until I had a break from um, research after I left uh, James Cook University and the centre, the Coral Centre, that I sort of discovered that passion for writing and illustrating children's books. Uh, I guess it just took me a while to realise that, that, you know, realise that, that that's what I wanted to do um, in my life or now on. So, yeah, it's like a big change, yeah. Your art is amazing. It, it's oh. so incredibly beautiful. But Thank I mean, you. <laughs> art and science aren't exclusive, are they? No, they're not. It, it takes, <laughs> I didn't think so. It takes a lot of creativity to 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 do science and mm. and to delve into the genomes of things like sponges and corals. Yes, it does. How did you get into genome work or looking into the genomes of sponges and corals? Was you mentioned that um, that children's books wasn't where you thought you'd start? Mm. Was genomes where you thought you'd be? Uh, yeah, so um, I was always, when I was a student at uni, uh, the call of being in the lab and investigating what was inside those marine animals I was looking at when I was going diving or snorkeling was really interesting. I've always been fascinated about the origins of life, how animals started and what was like the animal before the actual animals we have now on earth so yeah I, I always knew that that molecular path of me was gonna go through and then uh, eventually uh, as I um, moved on in career yeah genomics is like the big thing and, and I started doing a lot of genomics actually I did microbiology, my, microbiology first and then slowly sort of started moving more towards the host rather than the micros and then yeah, I guess I was planning at the end um, to combine both knowledge and, yeah, more and more broader approach to both things. But, yeah, I was being interested in, in that. Mm. 
Often there's a lot of questions about, well, what place does molecular biology and things like genomics and and that Mm -hmm. kind of computational, deep computational molecular science have to do with conservation of coral Mm -hmm. reefs? But Mm -hmm. it's critically important we know where things come from. Uh, Can you explain how your research has, has changed how we can think about conservation? Oh, that's a, that's a big question. I haven't thought of that for a while, though. <laughs> but, yes, definitely um, knowing. I guess it, it, it goes more into knowing that what is out there, because there are species that are really rare that we don't really know what they are. And sometimes you have species that look 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 the same, but then when you really look into the genes, you look not look at totally different species and... I think that's the beauty of genomics. It can tell you that. So if you have a reef that has these rare corals in it, um, you don't have the genetics to to pinpoint that. Then how are you going to, you know, know how to um, conserve that part of the reef? You know, that have these special animals. I think that's the beauty of the genetics. That's what is molecular biology can bring to to the field in a way, um, yeah, I guess that's one of the biggest ones, knowing about more the diversity of what is out there, yeah. In a, mm. In applying your creativity to molecular biology, what was the big highlight for you in doing that? Oh, my creativity. Oh, I was too creative so much that I went too ambitious on projects. I was always having ideas of all the million projects I could do <laughs> but never had time for it. So it has a downside to be so creative. Um, my approach to, to science, when I was fully doing science, I guess I was more focusing on scientific illustration. So I actually did a lot of, um, drawings. That's how I actually started as an illustrator, doing drawings of the animals, sponges at a time. Actually, I did a lot of coral stuff too, of things I was researching. And then sometimes I will add it to my papers or my PhD GC has a bunch of, um illustrations that I did during my PhD and yeah like that so I thought actually it would turn a little bit more of that side to help people with you know a bit of that yeah. uh, creative side of um science look because I don't think that a paper if you publish a paper or research you just have the words in there it just doesn't tell much I was also very much into visualization of the things I was doing. I did a lot of phylogenetics and then I was really fascinated about all these programs that can, you know, show you beautiful phylogenetics trees. So I was always like into that side. And I guess the other side of me was microscopy, you know, seeing all these beautiful pictures of corals and details and the things that glow in the microscope. There is also really, um, it really attracted me all that, all that side. Yeah, science, yeah. How important mm. is that visualisation in engaging the community who, like you say, all those words, they don't want to sit down and, and read that that deep science, exactly. which is all descriptive. How mm. important is the visualisation tools now? It is huge. It is huge. I mean, um, you know, try to picture a research paper in any journal, Nature, the biggest one. Picture it without any graphic, without any drawing or microscopy. How does it look like? And then that's more of the scientific community. But if you want to translate what you're doing to other people, yeah, look, we need um, artistic tools and we need that creativity to uh, 
and to reach others out there. To I think um, pictures tell way more than hundred words. I think a lot of people know that say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it, it it is huge, and I believe scientists need to team up with artists more and more um, to 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 do that to um, communicate science more. And I think that brought me to to doing. Um, to create uh, a children's book publisher is the, to, to sort of um, bridge a gap that there is uh, to science and, and the community. Yeah, kids, kids understand a lot more than we give them credit for, right? Yeah, we, they do definitely. Yeah, yeah. and um, and being able to engage them in science. Um, is a really important step in in translating because science is not just for scientists, right? It, it's for yes. everyone. Yeah. It's it's funded by predominantly science is funded by the community, so it's really important that we get that science to yeah. them and and to yeah. kids is through through things like your children's book company yeah. and, and writing children's book. Which one's been your favorite so far that you've done? On oh, my children's books. Oh well, I have. A list of books that are on the way. Um, so we just so I started by doing the children's book, and I was going to go the um, you know the classic way. You write the book, pitch the idea to a publisher, and I went that road. Um, I got rejections along the way, but always had really nice comment. The editors will come back to me. Look, it's a great idea, but we just don't have niche for what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, okay, so. I guess in time I realized maybe that's it. I just have a niche and maybe I just need to get those books out. And yeah, just learned how to do everything from writing the books to illustrating to designing to so all the process, all the process of, of getting children's book. And then the favorite one I'm doing at the moment, which is probably it's coming out by spoiling season, is about the life cycle of corals. So I have a little fish and then there's um, a coral reef and then there's the spawning and then it's, I just found a really creative way to explain coral spawning to children. That it's not just, um, you know, the non-fiction way of, you know, big words and all that. It's a bit, a bit creative. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. Then I have this book that I just um, had. I launched uh, back in March. And that one is also a bit of a different approach to teaching science because in the book I do talk about marine science a lot. I talk about coral species and sponge species, but it's all set up in a way that there is a girl who is discovering an underground aquarium and then uh, she's just learning new things as she goes and the aquarium is uh, owned by a crazy scientist nothing huh. to do with me though <laughs> she's very eccentric she's very passionate she just went crazy having these big experiments and then yeah it's just made like a fictional thing but at the same time and teaching and teaching the kids yeah. as they read because I think it's really important that books start giving those things to kids too and that's really translating your science knowledge yes because you've worked a lot on coral spawning right yeah yeah so it is yeah you know it all the way from the genes (laughs) through to the adult corals Um, 
how much do you rely on that scientific knowledge in these kids' books that you're that you're writing and, and your experience in, in marine science as well? Yeah, a lot. I think I had a bigger bench than that side because, um, you know, when you write a book, you need to do a lot of research. And, but, yeah, in that way, I think what I do is just I pick one topic and I say, oh, I want to have a book about spawning and then how, how do I do the book? And, uh, yeah, and then I translate what I know um, a bit, not too complex, but, yeah. 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 Hmm. Um, how, how complex do you think you can get for kids? Do you oh, think you can get into the developmental biology? Uh, look, I, I think we could. Just have to find the right words to do it and a fun story. Kids associate, at least mine, children. I have two different styles of kids, how, the things they read. One likes the fun books. She loves it, the funny ones with jokes. And so, yeah, I think you can sort of uh, try to, I don't know, you could probably pick two weird animals or something like that and then just yeah I'm pretty sure you can yeah it's a complex topic but uh, it's durable definitely yeah I would love to write one but no I don't have the idea yet but yeah <laughs> probably will come yeah hmm. a lot of young people coming into science think that they have to choose right they have to choose either mm. hardcore science self or their artistic self you know that those things don't mm. fit together nice. very well what advice would you give to those young scientists and young students that are coming through thinking they have to pick one or the other? Maybe be a stubborn and not listen to people <laughs> and follow what you're passionate about because that was my case, really. That was my example. I I, um, I was, um, I guess we, yeah, like you said, we we're right to just be one, one path. This is the path you go, the academic path. Um, you cannot be both. Um, my advice is that, yeah, to follow follow your instinct, follow your hearts and find ways to blend them both and actually find people that do it too because it could be a bit isolating too if you're feeling this. At least it was my case. Uh, there was a lot of, oh, I don't tell too much you're an artist, you know, artists are weirdos. And so, yeah, but I am. I've been an artist for a really long time and I'm suppressing the side of me too much that it's affecting my scientific side too I need both to yeah. work together so I, I, my recommendation will be maybe maybe finding groups uh, like I did eventually I found groups online I started writing for a magazine that does science and arts and I found a whole new world in there with people that were doing the same thing so and then you don't feel like so isolated with people that are just not academics or you yeah. just have to do the papers and that that, that. So yeah, that will be my recommendation. Find find your group, find your tribe, yeah. and, and and find things to do together, and and yeah, and follow your heart and and go for it. Yeah. So there, there's career path for doing that, right? There's mm. science communication. I mean, you're doing kids' books. Yes. Uh, science yeah. communication is massive now. The amount of yeah. communication that we do in publishing it, it's not. It's not published. It used to be that it's not published till it, it's not done until it's published. But now I think we're moving into it's not done until it's communicated. The work's not done until it's been exactly. communicated to people. Yeah. So there are career paths, right, for people with these multi talents. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. Um, I wish I would have known that earlier in career, <laughs> but it's okay. Give me because my I don't have a degree in arts. I don't, and I I don't think it's a disadvantage though. Um, I, I found my way to 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 join the artist with a scientist, and then um, and yeah, there is um, I don't know. There's several universities that are already opening 
uh, degrees, but you can do both. You can do a part of science and then do the artist side of it. And I think it's really important and it's really great that some universities are starting to open that uh, opportunities to the students, yeah. I like that you talked about your in your PhD you did a lot of scientific drawing, scientific illustration. I think for a long time that was thought that that was something that was done, you know, in the olden days before we could take photos easily and before we could communicate so easily through photography. But increasingly I'm seeing more and more um, scientific drawings being used because they're just... They're so beautiful and engaging, um, yeah. but they're also able to communicate like biological details in a different way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, definitely, yeah. How did you do that with the sponges? Like, what, what's for me? It's so far, and I'm not artist. I'm not. I would love to be artistic, <laughs> but I can't. I can't draw anything. How, how's that process? I know it's a, a big thing to ask someone. How are they creative? But how can people, if they're interested in, in engaging that part of them or doing it, how do you do that scientific illustra- illustration? What's the process? Yeah, so um, I had a very nice PhD advisor by then and she allowed me to explore my artistic side. I'm, I'm very grateful for that because she actually allowed me to go to Sweden and I took a big scientific illustration course in Sweden for a week. And that's when I learned what I needed to learn. Like I was looking, I was desperately looking for that. How do I do it? Like you ask me, how do I approach it? I know I want to do it, but I don't know how to do it. So in there I learned how to um, break down the process of illustrating something that you want to do. I learned about techniques you can use, old-fashioned techniques, that people have used, like you say, ages ago. Uh, it was really fascinating. And then that's not the first course I've done. That's the first one I did. Then I moved on and did another one here in Australia. And, um, and yeah, so that's so the process is pretty much observation. There's a lot of observation in it. You look at pictures and, like you just say, the beauty of drawing is that you can go, in deep with details that you can't actually get with a photography sometimes so it's really good for instance in the microscopic side of it I think it's really fascinating that you try to to um with a drawing you're trying to communicate to try to trying to with an image to tell to show to people how do a cell look like inside a sponge or a coral which they're not going to be able to see it that clear if you show a microscopic image you see what I mean so yeah. you try to diagram that and try to translate that information into a drawing so it is um yeah it's really good yeah but it's all narrowed down to that to observation be really good at observation rather than good at drawing because that comes with practice with experience The, the more you draw the better you get at but it's more about observation and how to communicate that yeah that's fantastic I didn't know that there were um scientific illustration courses that you could do like overseas but in Australia as well yes there is a university near you that does a degree in scientific illustration only really yeah that's that's absolutely fantastic I had no idea there are are opportunities out there yeah yeah uh, because I've guess students that ask quite a lot about scientific illustration and Mm. um and some that are so incredibly talented in what they're, because it's part of what we do in undergraduate, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what you're talking about with um, observation. Exactly. We, yeah. get, we get specimens of invertebrates and yeah. um, 
we're supposed to draw them and put labels on them so we know what all the different characteristics are. And some of the students are incredibly talented mm. yeah. in what they can draw. I, I remember mine were, were not very mine were not very good at all. <laughs> My drawings are pretty average. Just need to practice. <laughs> no, but it's, it is a it is a, a normal process. I think you go out the out in the field. What's the first thing you do? You start observing and you just about just scribbling something and then uh, that's how the the process starts you see it like with an image first I think so at least that's how it worked always for me when I was going into the field I really yeah and that part of um it's great it's great you do that in, in the courses because I remember doing that uh back in the days too you sit down with something and just draw it and yeah it's good good yeah awesome in terms of getting into things like developmental biology and molecular biology, was was observing closer and closer? Like you talk about mm. observing like the organism and then using microscopy to look at the small structures and the cells. Is is that process of observing and asking questions why you ended up going into the DNA in the cells and, and going into something yeah. like molecular biology? Yes, yes. Ask the questions of, of, of um, yeah, big questions like, yeah, uh, evolution, yeah, how things uh, were made, yeah. What yes. was some of the big insights that came from the research you were doing in molecular biology and evolutionary biology that you would like to bring into some of your storytelling for kids? Oh, my goodness, that's a good question. I should have never thought of that. Um, maybe what could be, it could be the sponges being, um, you don't hear, I don't think kids know what a sponge is really, to be honest with you. You hear more about corals. Yeah. Um, and they know what probably what a coral would be like. But yeah, sponge, I don't think they even acknowledge it as an animal and being so ancient and having sort of fasc, such fascinated set of genes that you could find also in all the way to, you know, um, humans, not exactly the science, but it's a, it's a basic toolkit of genes that, Humans have, corals have. So, yeah, probably that part that part of uh, uh, my research when I was doing my PhD and a little bit on my postdoc. Yeah, that would be really nice because thanks for the tip. I'll yeah. think about it now. <laughs> oh, nice. It's a good idea, though. Yeah. <laughs> what was the favourite discovery that you had while you were doing, doing this really deep evolutionary biology research? Oh, uh, well, finding out people have these thinking that sponges, all sponges were at the same at the molecular level, yeah. that they were all um, having the same sort of genes and then discovering that that group of sponges, Calcari sponges I studied during my PhD, they have actually a totally different toolkit of genes that makes uh, their bodies, like the developmental toolkit, was really, really cool that I found out that that's yeah. just actually seeing that, um, uh, discovering that sponges have lost during evolution some genes that and other ones had them. It was really interesting, yeah. Because mm. we don't talk much about sponges on coral reefs, but they are actually pretty important Yes, to the biodiversity. Uh, yeah. We had an interesting find in corals. We found sponges in living inside the skeleton of of corals, but what are some of the other thing places that you find coral uh, sponges on coral reefs, and um, and and what kind of roles do you think are the most important for sponges? Um, sponges. Well, I guess it all comes down to um, 
filtering all the water and also to the bacterial community that host. Um, yeah, it goes, I think it just goes down to the microbiome of them being so striking, important for, for the reef and maintaining that uh, balance in the reef. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. So you're based in Early Beach and the wet Sundays um, along the Great Barrier Reef. Do you still get out onto the reef a lot? Oh, no. <laughs> it's funny because I'm pretty, well, close, closer than I have ever been. But uh, no, I haven't had time. I have my baby. She was a surprise. And then, yeah, so since we moved here and then, um, yeah. yeah, sorry. I haven't had the chance to go, though. I would love to. Nice. Yeah. I will, I will go eventually. Mm. Nice. So what's the future for your for your company? Little Red House Books. What's the future? What what is what is your next step? Yeah, so currently we just managed to set up everything and I just had a I have a small team at the moment working with us. I have need, another illustrator on board, an art director. Um so I have an editor as well who is actually a school teacher. She's really, really good at advising me where the uh, topic is uh, could be related to the school curriculum. That's a, that has been a big thing for a publisher too. Um, and then the next step will be uh, to get more stories, not only my voice. I want the voice of other people. I would love to have other scientists actually writing children's books as well um which is not an easy thing to do but um, I love helping people creating children's books and writing and and yeah it will be fascinating to hear from someone that does I don't know forest ecology or or things like that the main themes that the on the publisher at the moment are adaptation adaptation then life cycles environment especially when it comes to pollution and uh, we also have themes for, such as water as a, you know, as an important uh, resource on Earth and things like that. So, yeah, it would be great to hear from other scientists. I'm looking for people to, do you to have, email me and say, yeah. hey, I got an idea, but I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And then, yeah, it'll be great. I actually have a friend who keeps telling me, I want I want to have a children's book about bees, Australian bees. We just don't know what to do. So, yeah. I'm, so that okay. sort of thing, yeah. Do you have any hot tips for scientists out there for how to turn their science into a kid's book? Yes, just get to your children level. So <laughs> if you have kids or have a nephew or niece or some kid related to you and then you want to explain them how, what you do in very simple words, that's that's the way it goes. Like, for instance, if you go home, Tracy, and then you could ask, oh, mommy, what do you do today? And then you go on, you go all, all you know, freeze, planning, mm-hmm. oh, I invest, I discovered a coral or I went to the reef or things like that. Very simple words in an imaginative way as well. Like they, they, they love um, fantasy, but not really fantasy, more like um, cool experiences, you know, like... Um, it's adventure stuff. That's yeah. the word. An adventure in it, you know. So yeah, that will be uh, that will be my my tip. Nice. Yeah, really like that. So yeah. so find the adventure and the discovery in the science, and and drop you an email. Yes. <laughs>
Nice. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast and talking about the parallels in science, art and kids' books. It's a really interesting insight into the career options for people and Mm. also different ways to be able to communicate the science that we do. Yes. Thanks for having me, Tracy. Thank you for listening to the Deep Blue On My Doorstep podcast. Don't forget to check out our website at events.unsw.edu.au where you'll find all the photographs from this podcast series featuring the beautiful places that we've been discussing and the organisms found in these blue spaces.